Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome back. It's episode 40 today, and I welcome Sarah Christian of Molio to talk to us about data and video marketing. Before we get started, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, how was your 2020 and what are your big plans for 2021? Just send over an email to will at customersyouclick.com uh, or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. You may remember a couple of months ago, we had Jeff Davis, the founder of Molio, on talking about the Molio method. Well, today I've got Sarah, who is the director of media and analytics, and we're going to be talking in more depth about how you can be using data to improve your advertising strategy. Let's get Sarah on now to explain more. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Could you tell us a bit about yourself, a bit of your background uh, and why you're doing what you do at the moment? Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks for having me, Will. Um, I'm I'm excited to have the opportunity to talk with you. And um, like you mentioned, uh, my name is Sarah and I am the director of media and analytics at Molio. Molio is a full service strategy, creative and media agency based in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah in the United States. And um, I've been at Molio for, let's see, just about five years now, which sounds crazy. Five years is such a such a round number. Uh, but my uh, career actually didn't start out in the world of advertising. Um, it actually started in the world of statistics. So I have a master's degree in statistics. And previous to working at Molio, I worked as a biostatistician in pediatrics. Uh, so I will tell you that there is no more noble job out there than than saving babies with math, which is basically what we were doing. Um, and that part of my job as a biostatistician, I absolutely loved. Uh, but the day-to-day -day for me of that particular job was, was definitely missing something. Um, it was rare that I spoke to another human being in a day. And everyone I work with now at Molio can definitely tell you that uh, I love to talk given the chance. So I actually guess I should be probably thanking you well for, for letting me uh, talk with you today. Um, but anyways, I guess fast forward to uh, basically what you might call me having a quarter life crisis. I, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life uh, based on my, my background I had in statistics, but not really knowing what, what I wanted to do moving forward. And that's when I met uh, a man named Jeff Davis, which is the CEO and founder of Molio, which um, I know you've had him as a guest on on the show a little a little while back. So you've you've met Jeff, you've talked with Jeff. Uh, but when I met Jeff, he was giving a lecture on how his agency uses data to optimize video campaigns for their, their clients, and this was. Definitely very intriguing to me uh, to hear this during this crossroads in my life, uh, because with my background in statistics, uh, data was essentially my my middle name. So long story short, Jeff hired me and I began working on the media and analytics team at Molio. And uh, I guess you can say uh, the rest is history, but uh, that's a little bit of my background and and why I ended up at Molio doing doing what I do. Cool. Yeah, sounds great. So, a bit of a was it a bit of a chance encounter? Yes. Yes, a a good chance encounter. I would yeah. say. <laughs> cool. Cool. Um. So, in Molia, then, what what does a like what does a normal day look like for you? Yeah. So, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about what a what a standard day looks like, but it, it might turn into what a what a standard 
handful of weeks uh, look <laughs> like at Molio. Um, but so just a quick refresher on Molio, since like I mentioned, you have talked to our, our CEO and founder, Jeff. Um, but Molio, we specialize in video advertising and we have what we like to call a video first approach when developing campaigns for our clients. Now, I want to emphasize video first as opposed to to video only for everyone um, listening. Uh, Video first, not video only. So what we do is we launch advertising campaigns with video at the epicenter and then build everything else we do for a brand off of the video that, that we create. So this has been incredibly effective um, for the brands we've worked with because, you know, in this day and age where we're constantly competing for consumers' time and attention, there really is nothing more compelling than sight, sound, and motion, aka video. Um, And in addition to that, video is a very malleable and, this is my favorite part, a very data-rich medium to use in advertising. So, um, you know, now that we're speaking about data again, uh, this brings me to to one of the key reasons we're so successful with video. And that's something that has become affectionately known as the Molio method. Now, in a single phrase or a single sentence, um, I guess I would say the Molio method is the integration of creative and media. So really the creative side of advertising as well as the media um, side of advertising really working hard together. Um, And this is really important to how our agency operates because in everything we do, the creative team and the media team, we're working in tandem with each other. There's absolutely nothing siloed about the way that that our two teams work um, inside of Molio. And we really believe in creating modular and variable video content that we can then test and optimize through media to not only drive results for our clients, but to garner insights and learnings that then inform the next steps um, of our advertising campaigns. So then this eventually leads us to a strategy that is not only scalable, but everyone has high confidence that it will be effective because we've proven that all pieces of this strategy will work along the way. So I guess then um, the big question is how do we prove that all of those, those pieces of, of the strategy we've built are going to work? And the answer I think is really what we're going we're gonna to dig into and talk about today, which is data, data and advertising. So I guess from a big picture point of view or a high level point of view, that's what a standard day, but more maybe what a standard handful of weeks uh, looks like working working at Molio. Yeah, it'd be good to yeah dive into this into the data side a bit more. But also, sure. I, what I think is particularly interesting is as Jeff mentioned on the podcast uh, a few episodes ago, yeah, this unsiloed approach and how data works very closely. Um, well, I guess data and the media side, but works very closely with the creative side. Because I know that, you know, from what I've seen, both in-house and working with agencies, they tend to be quite separate. You get the creative side, which goes off with kind of the brand guidelines and everything, and the, and the creative idea for the campaign produces that creative, hands it to the media team who then goes and spends money with that video or 
or image or, or whatever. And there might be a bit of tweaking, you know, if it's a static, uh, if it's static creative, then yeah, maybe there's some back and forth and they try and optimize it and stuff. But if it's video, it tends to be, here's the video, use it. It can maybe be cut up a little bit into a smaller segment, but otherwise it's the targeting and the the kind of the media end stuff that gets tweaked and that's it. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be good to hear about how that system works for you guys and uh, and yeah, how you use data to to direct everything. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, data, um, depending on who, who you are, can either be very scary or just part of your everyday existence. And and for me, with my background in statistics, I fall into the latter group, but I'll tell you kind of uh, the ins and outs of how we use data to integrate with the with the creative side at Molio. And really the secret to why Molio's media and analytics team has better database decision making than than other groups out there. And it's because we can not only crunch numbers and do the analysis part, but we understand the numbers, we understand the data, and we understand what different numbers mean or indicate, and then we can make decisions or glean actionable, keyword actionable insights from those numbers that then guide us to our next steps for, for our clients or for the brands that we work with. So, you know, data really is just a, just a bunch of numbers, but the, the key is figuring out the story those numbers tell that's the trick. And that's um, how we, how we start to integrate with the creative side. So like I mentioned previously, we specialize in video and video is very data rich and there's a lot of things we can learn from running video ads. So um, let me let me give you a few examples um, so that you know we're not just looking for did someone click on the ad or did someone not click on the ad. Uh, with video, we can look at things like did consumers view our videos to completion? So indicating whether it was engaging or not. Um, is there a point in the video that that consumers are viewing to, but then they seem to be dropping off. Um, we can look at really what's the difference between consumers that view the video to completion versus the ones that did not. Are there key differences between those those two groups of people? And does that indicate to us whether there might be a hole in our messaging strategy or a hole in our targeting strategy that that we need to address based on that data and that information. Um, A few other examples might be, were consumers that viewed our video more likely to purchase or more likely to to remember the brand name? Um, And, you know, I could could go on and on and on at all the different data points that that you can look at with video, um, but it's, it's just a lot more than looking at, okay, well, did someone see our ad and then click on it? There's a lot of different different pieces of data we can look at. So when we first launch a video campaign for a brand, the first, and it depends on the brand, but the first six to 12 weeks typically are very intense where the creative and media teams are constantly going back and forth together, determining which hooks, which reasons to believe, which calls to action, and other messaging points resonate and are the most effective with different audiences on different platforms, in different states of mind, uh, during different parts of the consumer journey. So uh, that's something that the media team and the creative team um, work together on. And 
we're really just looking for the story that the data is telling us so that we can then scale our advertising um, efforts with, with a lot of confidence. So that's a little bit about our approach to data and how my team, the media team, um, integrate, integrates with the creative side, side of our agency and works closely together in those initial weeks of launching any brand new video campaign for a brand. Yeah, like you said, it's not just looking at those kind of top level figures of how many people watch 30 seconds of the video um, and how many people click. It's kind of what do these people look like once they've kind of taken one of these actions and at what point are people actually dropping off on this video? You know, it's, it's interesting to see that, you know, X number of people drop off by 30 seconds, but I guess what, you guys are looking at is why they're dropping off at 30 seconds what's yeah. what's the message there or you know what's happened i guess what's happened in that video for the first 30 seconds and then what happens at the 30 second mark that makes people drop off totally it, you know so i imagine if someone's watch, if someone watches a video for 30 seconds there must have been something engaging about it um unless what's the what's the cutoff for skipping on youtube is it 30 seconds or is it shorter than that? So for skipping, it's actually, if you're if you're um, running in-stream um, skippable ads, it's actually five seconds. So it's it's really quick that people have the opportunity um, yeah. to skip. But then what's considered a, an actual view uh, is is 30 seconds if, if the creative is 30 seconds uh, long yeah. or longer. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, you'd see that they've, they've not skipped after the five seconds. There must be something uh, for most of these people, there must be something quite interesting. So they're then dropping off at 30 seconds. Maybe there's a message which is actually putting people off. Right. Yes. Cool. Um, So are there any like myths and misconceptions about using data for, for marketing optimization? Because I think, I mean, in, in my opinion, there's lots of businesses which almost go too far or focus too much on that side and actually lose sight of the creative side. Um, but yeah, it'd be good to hear your opinion on like, I guess what mistakes people are making with data as well. Yeah. So, so I can definitely talk about both misconceptions and, and some mistakes that, that I think are, are pretty common or pretty just easy to make when you're looking at, at marketing data. And like I mentioned earlier, Something that really sets the Molio media analytics team apart is our understanding of the data that we're working with. And really what I mean when I say that is we don't just see the numbers and say things like, this is the best performing audience or this is the best performing creative. We we like to go one layer deeper and ask ourselves why that's the best audience and why is that the best creative because you know your marketing data, your advertising data, it it isn't black and white. It isn't one dimensional. So, you know, let me I, maybe I can give an example of uh, how finding out why the data is saying what it is saying is is so critical to to a brand. Um, so we recently worked with Celestial Seasonings, the tea brand, and uh, part of our strategy, which was based on some consumer research they had done was to go after uh, people interested in yoga and meditation. Because, you know, tea can be a very calming or ritualistic thing for people, much like 
yoga and meditation can be. So, um, you know, being, being the video agency, uh, not surprisingly, YouTube was definitely one of the platforms that we were running ads on for celestial seasonings. And YouTube is a platform that is often used for guided yoga practice or guided meditation practice. So we ran our ads in front of that type of content on the platform, thinking that 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 was a good way um, to marry up the celestial seasonings content with with this yoga and meditation audience. But as it turned out, it it actually performed not that great. The the numbers or the the data, the metrics they they weren't stellar, and so instead of at that point just deeming yoga and meditation as an audience that just wasn't going to work, which I think would be very easy for, for a lot of brands or a lot of agencies to decide to do. Um, we asked ourselves, okay, why is this, this happening? Since we did have this consumer research that told us this should be a good audience. So digging into the data, it turned out that people were not only not clicking on our ads, they, they weren't even watching any really measurable amount of our ads. They skip the ads almost immediately at that at that five second mark. And so um, you know, digging into the data, we we found out that this is because when people turn to YouTube to do a yoga practice or a meditation practice, they just want to get to it. They don't want to be stopped or interrupted. They don't want to watch a video and click through to purchase something. Um, at that point in time, because they because they came to the platform to do something. So instead of abandoning this yoga and meditation audience altogether, um, we did some testing um, on some different platforms where we could also easily target uh, people interested in yoga and meditation, but in a way that we wouldn't be interrupting their practice of either yoga or meditation and on these other platforms. So one of these platforms was, was Pinterest, the audience performed incredibly. So, you know, at the end of the day, this was the right audience and it was the right video content with the right messages. We just had to find those people in the right mindset before serving them an ad for, for celestial seasonings. So, you know, that's maybe a, a fairly basic example of what we do, but it gives you an idea of what I mean when I say we find out the whys behind what what the data is saying. And I think that that's just a really easy mistake people can make is, okay, this isn't working, let's shut it off. And then they never think about it again, instead of, you know, taking the time to go one layer deeper and figure out why something is is actually happening. Yeah, I think so. I, I guess from that's my ex- one mistake, yeah. Yeah, so I think from my experience, yeah, in companies I've worked in, the we've had like the PPC team, well, the, the the Google team, and then there's the the kind of media team, which is like Facebook, Instagram. Don't think it was YouTube, but yeah, I guess effectively what would happen is the Google team would would run those campaigns, would try something out, and it wouldn't work for them but it wouldn't then get pushed across to the media team to try it on Facebook or Pinterest or something. Yeah. It was just kind of, it would go dead at that stage. So there was no, they kind of, yeah, they, they missed that, that crossover point that you've, you've been describing where they said, well, do we, do we try it somewhere else? It's almost because of the team setup, it, 
it's almost like it's not their responsibility. That channel's not their responsibility, so they don't even consider it. Right. Yep. So I think yeah, that's you know for me that's that's one of the problems um, that occurs, and it can can occur with when you've got agencies involved as well. You know, when the agency is not really covering other channels, um, it can things can just go dead because they've tried it, it didn't work. That's their job done. They can they they move on to something else. Right. Exactly. Yep. No, not as much of a sharing of information uh, kind of mindset when you have so many different groups working um, with one particular brand. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Any other kind of misconceptions or mistakes? Maybe I I would like to talk about one other and and this is, um, you know, maybe more of a misconception rather than a mistake, uh, uh, at least as as I see it. And um, I think uh, it's, it's really surrounding how we as marketers and as advertisers, we use and think about um, statistically significant data. Um, now, every single one of my professors from when I was getting my master's in statistics probably just died a little bit inside when I said that because statistically significant data is what statisticians live by. But in marketing, I feel we can expand our mindset a little bit with our thinking around statistic data. Now, statistically significant data, you know, it, it's quantifying whether a result is quote unquote real or if it just happened by chance. And the higher the statistical significance, the more likely a result is real or repeatable rather than just a random event of chance. Now, when I worked as a biostatistician, our statistical significance, of course, always had to be extremely, extremely high because we're, we were dealing with people's lives. So we wanted to have very high confidence in, in our results and in our data. So um, when I look at it from the lens of advertising, however, Molio actually has a little bit of a different approach and it has helped us be very nimble um, in the rapidly changing universe that the digital media is. And it's, I think it's really helped us help uh, some of the brands we work with keep up with their competition um, in, in the marketplace. And so it, this is going back to data. So like the key to reaching statistical significance is acquiring enough data to build that confidence level. So when we're talking about advertising, to collect real-time advertising data, that requires you to be spending advertising dollars constantly needing to obtain statistical significance or high confidence levels can then become either very costly or it can really slow down, like I said, the speed at which brands need to move to keep up with their competition in the marketplace. So, you know, unless you're amongst uh, maybe the Coca-Colas of the world, and, you know, I say that with absolutely no disrespect, um, we've worked with Coke's Innovation Group and they are all very lovely people, um, fun people to work with. But, you know, unless you're amongst the Coca-Colas of the world, you probably have to be very, very judicious with your money and with your time as an advertiser. It is then crucial that you determine where you have to be statistically significant and and where you can afford to be what I like to call directionally significant. And, you know, to me, directionally significant is just having enough data pointing you in a direction so that you can make some, make some moves, make some progress. Um, And I'll give you an example of a a brand that we've 
we really use this approach kind of across across the the board with them. Um, and it was when we were helping this brand to launch a new product into the market successfully. And and this product was a a probiotic chocolate. So you know this the idea of a probiotic chocolate was new in both the probiotic space as well as in the chocolate space. There there wasn't any very direct competition um, when when we were launching this this product. And it's for and actually I'll give them a shout out. It's for a Belgian chocolate company we, we work with called Bouchard. And I will tell you if you have not tried Bouchard chocolate, go ahead, do yourself a favor um, and get yourself some. I actually, even though it's a 10 a.m., 10 in the morning where I'm at, I, I had a Bouchard cookie dough bite <laughs> before jumping um, on on this call with you uh, just because they're they're so good. So get it's, yourself uh, some Bouchard chocolate. <laughs> it's really funny to say that because uh, actually Jeff mentioned that as well on the episode <laughs> last time. And his, his reaction was pretty much the same. Like, you have to try this stuff. Like it really is just so good. You you won't need Godiva. You won't need Lint in your life. You won't. I mean, heaven forbid you won't need Hershey. Um, but okay. yeah, get yourself some Bouchard chocolate. But anyway, uh, back to when we were launching uh, their probiotic chocolate, um, we made hypotheses surrounding what would work for the following things. So one of those things was package design. Another was site design and consumer journey. And then, of course, we had creative messaging and audience strategy in there as well. So, so we made some basic hypotheses around what we what we thought would work for those things. Um, and you know, you could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars doing research and consumer studies regarding all of those things I just mentioned prior to ever running a single ad or selling a single piece of chocolate, or and this is the approach we took, you could begin running ads, begin selling actual product, and do what we like to call a live market research. Um, because then, you know, you're seeing how people react to your creative in what you might call the, the wild or in their natural habitat of, of either YouTube or Instagram or Pinterest or whatever platform um, consumers might be on. And, and you see which audiences are more engaged. You see where consumers fall off in the consumer journey on the site, uh, all while actually selling real product, creating real, real revenue. Um, so it's really bringing revenue upstream um, in, in kind of the whole process of launching a new product. Um, and then, you know, as you go, you can finalize the site as you're collecting enough data to see that there's no more friction when people are checking out. Uh, uh, you can move forward with the best creative message variation um, or variations based on a directionally significant sample size of consumers. Um, and in the process, and this is my favorite part, no good ideas went to die in a biased focus group of like 20 people who are just there for the gift card that they were promised at the end. Um, so it's, it's this methodology that, that really works for, for brands that, that they need to figure out quickly. So quickly either in time or, or quickly like financially 
um, whether or not this this product is is going to be a go or not. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. I think um, you know uh, I've spoken to a bunch of people about this. You know, people who run Facebook ads and things. You know, they say you you can start out. Uh, I think it's as as little as a, as about five dollars a day advertising. Yes. So you don't yeah. have to have massive budgets. Nope. Um, and I think Jeff mentioned it as well. You, uh, yeah, in fact, he mentioned it about video. He said, just get started. Like, put, yes. some, put some video together on your phone or something and just try it out and just see what happens and then kind of, you know, dig into the data a bit and try and understand what's going on and how you improve it from there. You you don't right. need to spend even even just thousands of dollars on it, really. You, you can get, um, you, you can get enough data quickly to be able to look at it and, and and make some decisions yourself without needing that statistical significance. Absolutely. Yep. Cool. So um, what are what are some of the key things people should be considering if they want to use more data in their marketing or, or actually make better use of the data in their marketing? That's probably the better, <laughs> the better question. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um, something that, that even when we start working with a brand, uh, we definitely bring some perspective of this uh, into uh, the brand team that that we're working with. And I just, I can't say it enough that the key to unlocking the usefulness of your data is figuring out the story that, that your data is telling. And a lot of brands come to us and it's, and it's actually very clear, even as, you know, um, an outside vendor that the people managing a brand's data or the people analyzing the data sit separate from the key decision makers. And oftentimes the communication between the two is, you know, more or less ineffective. And in those scenarios, it becomes even more important that we find the story behind the data so that we, so that Molio, we are not only executing the brand's advertising, which we were paid to do, but so that we are adding value to their actual business. And, and that's how we've become so beloved by so many of our clients is we operate truly as a literal extension of, of their team. Um, and we're not just a vendor, but we're a true partner. And so a lot of times when you're looking at your data um, or looking at a brand's data to find the story it can feel like you're reading a, a foreign language. So always as a first step, when you're trying to make better use of your data, I would recommend simplifying your approach by looking for a few specific things. And there's 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 four of them. So I'll just go through them. So the first thing I always recommend is looking for trends or themes in your data. So look for things that are occurring repeatedly or things that seem to be consistent. So these can be trends over time, themes across audiences or platforms. It can be a variety of things, but the first thing, always look for trends or themes in your data. And the second thing is, is kind of the opposite of this. It's, it's looking for significant differences in your data or things that are inconsistent. Again, this can be differences seen between creatives. It can be differences seen between audience demographics, but just look for things that are different or inconsistent. And then the third thing is 
discrepancies in your data or outliers in your data. And, and this is different from looking for differences because you're looking at discrepancies or outliers to determine are they anomalies or is there something important that we should be noticing here about, about this outlier piece of data? And then the last thing to look for are changes in your data. So in other words, look for where trends are ending or trends are stopping. And you know, sometimes these can be very significant changes in your data, or sometimes they can be more subtle. So maybe you have a trend of your, your CTR, your click-through rate going up week over week um, over time. And then you have a week where you have a huge spike in your CTR. Okay, what's what's going on right there? That's a that's a big change in your data. But sometimes it can be much more subtle than that. You can have your CTR increasing at a consistent rate week over week, and then you have one week where it just it starts to plateau a little bit. So the the rate it's increasing at just isn't isn't as big as it was. So that's maybe an example of a of a more subtle change in your data. But the last thing I would look at just to reiterate is changes in your data, or in other words, where trends are ending or stopping. So those are the four things I would look at. And then one other thing I'd add, if you're trying to get more out of your brand's data, if you're the one analyzing the data or the person responsible for reporting on the data, it's sometimes tricky um, to translate what, what the data means or why these pieces of data might be important to key stakeholders, let's say. So if that's the seat you sit in, I'd recommend changing your mindset from reporting to the key stakeholders to teaching the key stakeholders. And you know, that slight change in mindset can really make a world of difference and how effective your communication is as the person who crunches the numbers to the people who need to go and make decisions based on what you're finding in the numbers. And if you use teaching language rather than reporting language, you'll find you can more easily communicate the story of the data, which in turn makes the information you're sharing more, more actionable. And that's really what what makes your data useful as an advertiser and as a marketer is making sure that it's actionable. Yeah, absolutely. So just on that last point, um, I guess, reporting versus teaching, can you just give a, a bit of an example of that? Is it is it kind of the difference between just saying, these are the numbers, this is what's happening, and more of a like a why, why this has yes. happened? Yes, exactly. So you've probably picked up on what I, I keep. My favorite word is why. And everyone, when everyone at work listens to this, <laughs> um, they're all just going to be laughing because they're going to be like, yeah, we hear you say, but why, but why, but why, but, but why all day long. But yeah. yeah, that's exact. That is the key difference. So, you know, there's, there's really a big difference in saying, okay, these are the numbers. These, these are the KPIs. These are the metrics you should care about and saying, okay, why you should care about them and why they are what what they are. Um, so if you if you leave the reporting mindset, which is really just okay, what are the numbers and go to why this is happening with the numbers, that that really makes all the difference between reporting and, and teaching. Yeah, definitely. I mean it, it's 
it's just so much more valuable. It's what I do all the time. Um, whenever I'm working, working with clients or, or in house, um, you know, I've seen examples where we've, we've had loads of feedback from customers saying, um, their, their discount codes didn't work. And so the obvious, uh, the obvious first thing to do is test the discount code and, uh, you know, and, and see if it works. And, and a lot of the time it works and you're thinking, well, well, it, it does work. So these people are wrong. They must be inputting it wrong or, you know, you might check to see whether it's case sensitive or anything like that. Um, but actually in one particular case, it was because of just eight, one of the terms and conditions of the code meant it just wasn't eligible for some of these purchases. And it just happened okay. to be that that was a very high frequency of the number of, uh, of the purchases or uh, the attempts to purchase. Yeah. So the, the code was working exactly as intended, but people just didn't know it was supposed to work like that. And so the right. customers were having a problem. Yeah. But if we, yeah, if you just report on it and say like X number of people are having problems with this or, or it might be, you know, the report would probably come through from, you know, we've had X number of people, like a thousand people, uh, put their email address in to get the code and only 200 people have claimed it yes so yes. what like do we have an issue with our email or something like that but then yeah actually if you ask why why have only these these people uh redeemed it and you you know you can you might dig into the purchases you might actually just ask some people um yeah. or, or look at session recordings and things but yeah you, you find out they have been trying to use it and um, for an unknown reason and also um one of the issues was that the error codes generally aren't great. So the error code yeah. will just say this, this code is invalid and therefore the customer thinks they've got an invalid code. Yeah. They haven't got an invalid code. It's just not eligible for their purchase. Yeah. I, I <laughs> use the why a lot. I think it's, it's, it's really, really important. It actually reminds me, reminded me of a book that I read years ago. Um, I think it's, it's analytics, web analytics 2.0. Okay. Yes. Um, and yeah, it, one of the things he mentions is uh, reporting versus analysis yeah. and how so many companies will just report on data and say like, this is, you know, this is the CPA this month. It's gone up by 15%. And that's kind of it. Um, uh, but he says, you know, for every, I think it's for every dollar you spend on reporting, you should be spending nine on analysis and what that data is actually telling yes, you and exactly. what you should do with that data. Yeah, because totally. If you don't do that, I mean, for the most part, in these meetings where people start reporting data, it's just boring for everyone else because it's <laughs> yeah. just a report. Um, but also it just doesn't, doesn't drive growth. It doesn't drive creativity in the team either. Yeah. But if, if you can explain why that, why that data has changed in a certain way, um, it helps you kind of work towards fixing that problem, but it could also help someone else fix another problem. Exactly. Yeah. Really propels the business forward. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you see any big, any big trends coming in the way businesses use data for marketing? Oh yes. Um, I definitely do. Um, and I, I think it's something we've started to see impact the world of digital advertising and, and will only impact it more as time goes on. And that's, that's user privacy. So I think um, particularly um, in 2020, there's been a lot of changes to user privacy. And I think in the future, uh, come 2021, we're just going to see, we're going to see more and more 
privacy policies and laws and regula- regulations put into place. And so as that happens, I think two things in particular are going to become more and more important as marketers. And the first thing is creative content. Um, A lot of the recent changes to privacy policies on the big digital app platforms, at least, uh, essentially have dampened our our targeting capabilities in some way, shape, or form on the media buying side. And uh, I think that will probably just continue to progress in some way. So if that's the case, brands are really going to need better and better creative content to hook, to qualify, and to convert their audiences because we will be talking to or targeting more general groups of people. So we will really need the messaging and the creative to speak to the audiences we want to reach. And it has to be done in such a way that those audiences know we are speaking to them. And and this is really interesting interesting um, to me. And I think it'll be interesting to see how this evolves because right now on a lot of platforms, the creative best practice is for video anyway, is to have short form video. I hear it all of the time from major digital app platforms, short form, short form, short form, 15 seconds is optimal only 30 seconds if you if you have to and you know 60 seconds would be like the absolute longest video content you would ever have and um i think a lot of what has driven that is uh video is so um quote unquote easy to make these days you know anyone can really be a video creator or a video editor with their smartphone and because the market for consumer attention is so competitive platforms say short form is best to oh, how should I say, to reduce the amount of I hate to say it but but uh, crappy video out there that will pollute their platforms and, and negatively impact user experience what which is what all of these platforms care so much about. And you know at Molio, we don't believe in only short form. We believe in starting with long form and testing and optimizing modular video variations until we know with absolute certainty what the most effective 60 is, what the best 30 second is, and what the most impactful 15 second video spot is. So I guess I guess for Molio, what I'm saying is bring on the new privacy restrictions because we've got our creative process down and we and we know how to do this, so we're ready for it. Um, but but this is another reason why creative and media efforts cannot afford to be siloed. They absolutely have to work together, and it's just going to become more and more important. So if you're making significant media buys as a brand, I would definitely recommend that you find an agency um, or, or whoever you're working with that can also do, do your creative so that your strategy for both creative and media are in sync because there's going to come a day where you just aren't going to be able to be successful without complete synergy between the two, between creative um, and media. So so with privacy policies continuing to get 
more strict, I think the first thing that's going to become more important is uh, creative content. But the second thing um, that will become more and more important is media placement. So that's, you know, where are you going to place your ads to speak to your audience in the right context, right setting, and right mindset? And if you think about it, Google and Facebook have become, you know, what I would say is essentially broadcast TV for digital. And and what I mean by that is you can reach just about anyone, like you can reach the masses on Google and Facebook these days. So, um, you know, you're you're going to have to be more strategic about where where you place your ads. And so a few platforms that that I think will grow as privacy policies continue to evolve. Um, one of those is, is Pinterest. So, so Pinterest is a lifestyle solution-oriented platform. You find people on the Pinterest platform looking for things that either fit into their life or things that will solve a specific problem they're experiencing. So so knowing that that's the mindset that people are in um, when they come to Pinterest, that that makes a media placement or an advertising placement on Pinterest uh, potentially very strategic, um, just knowing the mindset the consumer is in when they're on that platform. Uh, Some other platforms that I think might uh, continue well, they're already growing rapidly and I think are just going to um, continue to do so are are places from Amazon and like places like Amazon and Walmart. So, uh, you know, when I say Amazon, I mean everything from their fire TV ads down to their sponsored brand ads um, because, you know, people go to Amazon to, to buy things. And, you know, Amazon's to the point where people can buy just about everything there. So, but having that shopping mindset, like, you know, for, for sure, people are going to Amazon to, to shop. That's another key mindset. That's going to be really valuable, um, as, as a media placement, uh, and for placing your ads on Amazon, because you know why people are, are going there. So again, just to recap, um, creative content and media placement, uh, I think are going to become hugely important as privacy policy continues to to grow and expand because we're going to lose some of the refinement we currently have in our targeting capabilities and we're going to have to figure out other ways to get that refinement. So I just think that's something that that the advertisers of the world need to be ready for. Yeah, yeah. So on that first point, in a way, you're basically saying because you're you're not going to have the options to target people, you've got to basically learn what that targeting is through optimization of the adverts and the data there. Yes. So you yes. can see, you know, where they're dropping off in the videos or where they're clicking in the videos. Therefore, what messages are resonating, what aren't resonating, and therefore, based on that, what these sort of people are. Yes, you got to qualify your audience with the actual creative content rather than your your targeting. Yeah, and then I think yeah, on the on the the media placement side, I mean, I, I think it's people it's what people should be doing anyway. Really, like yeah, like you say on Amazon, people are going there to buy. So if you can advertise on Amazon, be you can be quite transactional about it. Whereas yeah. if they're on Facebook, you know, you're interrupting them. Yeah, you need to appreciate that. Same same as Instagram. Um, I mean, I, 
maybe Instagram's even a little bit more different as well. Um, it's like kind of, I, I think a little bit similar to Pinterest in that people are looking for kind of inspiration and, and just things that make them feel good, but yep. there's less of that, maybe a bit less buying intent on Instagram than on Pinterest. Yep. So if you can kind of understand that behavior and use that to build your, your content and your media and your creative, um, you're at least at a better starting point for when, the, for then optimizing. Yes. Um, do, do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing? You know, I do, I do have a few. Um, and again, when my team listens to this, they're all going to be laughing to themselves and probably listing off all of my pet peeves in their heads. Um, <laughs> because I'm, I'm definitely vocal about them, but I'll, uh, to spare you um, and your listeners, I'll just I'll just go ahead and share a few with you. Um, and in the first pet peeve I definitely have is the use of vanity platforms in media strategies. And when I say vanity platforms, I mean platforms like TV that are expensive and drive metrics like big impression numbers, which. In a lot of cases, if those aren't high quality impressions, to me, they really are just vanity impressions. Like you're paying for them to say you paid for them. Uh, they might not really be driving your brand's objectives. And um, I say that vanity platforms are a pet peeve of mine because it just absolutely kills me, Will, when we get a set of objectives for a brand. And then literally the very next sentence I hear is, let's run TV when a TV buy so clearly does not drive any of the brand's objectives forward. So, and, you know, I'm using TV as an example, but it, it can also happen with, you know, new trending social platforms before the efficacy of their ad product has really been proven. But, you know, because it's the new shiny platform, people want to buy ads on it. So, you know, it just drives me crazy when the media is not, not purposeful and it's not strategic. And I, I should also probably say though, for the record, I have made TV buys, but I can promise you that they were all very strategic um, in, in every case. Yeah, I've um, actually- um, So that's my- I, I've experienced that myself. Um, when I was in-house at one business, I'll try and keep the details a little vague. Um, <laughs> we were asked, we, we, for, for no real reason, we were asked as a marketing team to uh, to launch on a new social platform. Um, okay. It was kind of a, a choice. I think we were on Twitter and Facebook at the time, um, and and part of it was you know limited resource. We didn't have a dedicated social media person, so managing multiple platforms, you know, fairly challenging. Um, yeah. I I pointed out that our content would be would be pretty good for Pinterest. Um, it was, we, we had access to huge amounts of content, um, which yeah, was, would be perfect for, for Pinterest. It was kind of recipes, uh, holidays, things like that. Um, uh, the, you know, news on or like auto content and stuff like that. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I also pointed out that Pinterest was, was getting a, a bit of a reputation for being quite a good sales channel. You know, it was actually converting traffic into sales. Yeah. Um, and the response was, 
well, that's not how I use Pinterest. So I think we should use Instagram because that's that's where everyone is these days. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was kind of it. <laughs> okay. So, it, yeah, it, it was kind of this, like, just without any reason, just it, it was this this shiny new platform that apparently everyone's using and everyone's loving. So we need to be on it. Yeah. And not really think about if that's the right channel and also just not considering like if we've, if we're limited on resource and we want to open up a new channel, let's really try and identify the one that's going to work for us. Right. Um, I think that's like, yeah, that's kind of like with TV or, or uh, here, at least here in London, um, tube advertising tends to, I, I think okay. have the same kind of get used in the same way. It's seen as yeah. those, you know, you're, you're a big, you're a big boy brand. If you're advertising on the tube, on the London right. underground, um, right. you don't really have to have a strategy for it. Um, <laughs> and, and the, and the, the agencies selling it to you will just sell it to you. Like, yeah. they, they will obviously give you a bit of a strategy behind it, kind of, which involves spending more money generally. But yeah, there's no real thought through approach to it at times it tends to be right we, we've got the budget now we're at that size let's do tube advertising yep um yep so yeah that's that's one of mine as well but yeah go on i'm glad you i'm glad you sh- i'm glad you share that one uh with me um but okay my my next one is uh it actually has to do with creative so I'm sure you're probably thinking that that's comical coming from a media and analytics girl, but like I mentioned, creative content is going to become more and more important. And so, and we kind of talked about this a little bit before it, it really just pains me when creative teams develop their creative, ship it off to media and then assume their job is done. Media teams, the people actually managing the media buys and seeing their performance in real time are definitely going to have the most valuable input or feedback on the creative content. So, you know, I I don't care that media people aren't professionally trained creatives. Um, their insights can really help make the creative better. And, and that's something I absolutely love about Molio is our creative and media teams truly do work in tandem. Um, the, actually, the inside joke with our managing partner at Molio who came up as a creative through large holding company type agencies. So, you know, he's, he is very good at his job is uh, don't let the 50 year old guy come up with the creative unchecked when millennial moms are the target audience. And, and the reason that's the running joke is he is a 50 year old guy on the creative side and I'm a millennial mom on the media side. And, you know, whether the creative team likes it or not, I'm constantly giving uh, creative feedback and like what what it looks like from a media point of view, from a media POV. And I think that that is actually something uh, that sets Molio apart is, um, you know, d- during the times of COVID, we don't sit five feet apart. But back when we were in the office, like the media team and the creative team, like they sit right next to each other. Um, and a lot of agencies, um, especially larger agencies, media teams and creative teams can sit on sit on separate floors and and there's not a whole lot of communication between the two. So I think that's something that really sets Molly apart and, and elevates our creative is that uh, they welcome feedback from from the media team and actually implement it and it just it's like an iterative 
process that really just makes our creative better and better. Yeah, exactly. It's that iterative uh, approach to it. You know, it's, you, you can come up with a great campaign, put that creative together, but the, you know, as soon as you start advertising it, that's when you start to learn whether it's actually good or, or whether people are actually responding to it. Yeah. Um, and then there'll be other bits that can be fed in as well. Like obviously you're not using um, video on, on paid search, but when paid search, the team doing paid search works out what's working for them, they can feed that in and say, well, it's this messaging is working really, really for well sure. for people who have an intent to purchase. And this is messaging yeah. that works really well on those keywords, which are maybe more information led. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely really important. And uh, yeah, it's disappointing when creative gets handed over and then you're told that's it, but they're moving on. They've got other projects to do. Yes. This is your, your batch of creative, creative to work with. Yeah. Um, so just finally then, uh, do you, do you feel there's a particular area of marketing which is a bit underrated? You know, I do. And some of the biggest buzzwords, I guess you would say, in marketing today all surround things like data, artificial intelligence, and machine learning, which which is great. Um, but don't forget that when we are advertising, we are trying to sell products and services to actual human beings. So there's still a critical need, in my opinion, for a human component in the process. And I think especially during 2020 and through COVID-19, we learned or maybe relearned the importance of human connection. So while technology continues to advance to make us more productive and more efficient, there's still a huge need for strategic thinking on all sides of advertising, whether it's developing the creative or developing the media strategy, figuring out how to measure success or in needing to completely overhaul what we're doing because a worldwide pandemic hit, you know, a human touch is still very necessary. And to go back to what I said, literally first thing when we started talking um, about why I wasn't satisfied as a biostatistician it was the human interaction I was missing. And I've definitely found that in the world of advertising, even if my role is very heavy on the data and analytics side. So I just think right now, the most underrated aspect of marketing is the role of people, um, of humans in the process. And it's actually what what makes this job really fulfilling for me. Yeah, it's been mentioned a couple of times on the podcast. I think um, one of the earlier episodes was with um, Parry, the the founder of uh, Phrasey, which is an AI tool for copywriting. Yep. And he mentioned that um, one of the really valuable things about uh, AI tools and, and Phrasey in particular is not that it replaces like someone's job. It's actually that it it takes away some of the more repetitive tasks that yes. can be automated and allows people to be more creative yes. and take that more strategic view, which then that. allows you to actually improve what you're doing mm -hmm. um, rather than just, you know, well, sit there looking at data, I suppose. <laughs> right, right, yes. <laughs> and, and that, you know, if you could, it's, it's good to automate stuff and, and, you know, bring in tools to help you, but absolutely only if you're then kind of using the opportunity to, 
to review things from a more like strategic and, and creative point of view, I suppose. Exactly. Yes. Cool. Um, all right. This has been absolutely amazing stuff. I, I do love talking about data and uh, in marketing and uh, and all the different approaches and, and the why. Um, I think the why is really, really important. I think a lot of people miss that out. Um, what is, if, so, if people want to find out more, um, either about data or about Molio, uh, what's the best way of getting in touch? Yeah, so people can either reach me or Molio uh, in a few different places. So one is um, our website. So that's just www.molio.com or on LinkedIn, just search Molio. And I guess Molio is spelled M-O-L-I-O. And, uh, you know, you can also reach out to us or rather just keep tabs on what we're up to on Instagram. Our handle is Molio Agency. Okay. Do you, do you put a lot of, uh, do you update a lot there? Yeah. So we actually, we're pretty active there and, and we show all sides of the house. So what we're doing um, from a company culture perspective to what creative projects we've worked on to some cool media things we're doing. So you can really see everything we're doing there. Oh, awesome. Okay, I'll have to check that out myself then. Do it. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, all right, well, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Will. I really, really appreciate it. So as you heard, it's really important to understand why the data is telling you something, not just what it's telling you. You can't just look at clicks and conversions. You've got to look into more detail. You know, How long are people viewing your videos for? Do they view them to completion, indicating they're really engaging? Or is there an obvious point at which viewers are dropping off? It's not as simple as saying this is the best creative, this is the best audience. You have to really dig deeper and understand the why. If you can do that and understand why a certain piece of creative resonates with a certain target audience, you'll understand your customers better. You'll be able to optimize your advertisements even further. By digging deeper, you'll be able to understand that it's not just the case of, oh, this audience doesn't work. It might just be the case that you're targeting them in the wrong place. If you want to take your advertising to the next level, you've got to be prepared to really dig into the data and understand it properly. If you'd like to learn more about data and advertising, reach out to Sarah on LinkedIn or head over to molio.com. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com. Next week, I'm talking with Ollie Bridge, Bonjour, and we're going to be talking about personalization and how you can take steps to personalize on a more individual basis to really surprise and delight customers. But until then, keep those customers clicking. <laughs>